Welcome to another episode of News with Nicola, a Faithfully Magazine podcast brought to you by Faithfully Media. I'm your host, Nicola A. Menzi, Managing Editor at FaithfullyMagazine.com. In this episode of News with Nicola, we don't take a look at any headlines. Instead, we're going to hear my interview with Bobby and Cheryl Love. The Loves are a couple from New York City whose lives were turned upside down a few years ago when the NYPD and FBI showed up at their door asking for Walter Miller. But who was Walter Miller, Mrs. Love wanted to know. As events began to unfold over the next few weeks and months, Mrs. Love and her four children learned that the man they had called husband and father for the past 30-plus years had an astonishing past. Walter Miller, or Bobby Love, was a convicted bank robber wanted for escaping a North Carolina prison almost 40 years ago. After their story went viral in a Humans of New York post in 2000, the Loves decided to share their story with a wider audience. Their new book, The Redemption of Bobby Love, a story of faith, family, and justice, takes readers back to that fateful day. In the following interview, the Loves reveal lessons they've learned, why they believe God was looking out for them, and why they've been thinking about Samuel L. Jackson and Loretta Devine. So, you know, you've got the book out now, The Redemption of Bobby Love, Mm -hmm. um, and you're sharing your story with the world. Um, And through the book, you know, people are going to get to know you too and get to know your story. Um, But in your own words, you know, if you were to introduce yourself uh, to people today, um, who would you say that you are? How would you describe yourself? Like, who is Cheryl Love? Okay. Cheryl Love is a mom, a wife, um, (laughs) an ordinary girl, ordinary person with an extraordinary life. Wow. Okay. And who is Bobby Love? Oh, I'm um, I'm a just a regular guy that I have a past that was, I guess, to a lot of people was very um, interesting, and it was um, it was lived to the fullest. And now it's um, it's in paperback for everybody to read. That's right. That's right. And so the book opens um, before it, you know, backtracks a bit and gets us caught up with current times. But the book opens, right, Mrs. Love? Like, it's like a regular morning for you. You're having your tea in the kitchen. And all of a sudden, you hear this banging on the door. Uh, Take us back a bit. What happened? Okay. So I get up early every morning before going to work and have a nice hot cup of tea. My son, Jordan, is also up because he has an early class and he's on his way out the door and so we all always have prayer before he leaves and so we had did that and everything and I had went on back to have my tea he had left and like I said there was this loud knock on the door and so we both said at the same time who is it <laughs> so when we go the um person at the door they go we want 2a and we I'm like well this is 2a and I opened the door. And when I opened that door, I tell you, it was the FBI, NYPD, guns drawn. And they were like, stand back, ma'am. You don't know who this man is. And I'm like, I don't know who this man is. Are you kidding me? I'm I'm looking at my husband. I'm looking at Bobby. But he's not looking at me. And his head is down. And the cops are around him 
semi-circle around him and they're like saying things to him, but everything is so quiet, like muffled, you know, and this other police officer will not let me come by. And I'm like, honey, what's going on? Bobby, what's going on? And I'm crying. My kids are up by now. Two kids in the back, they're up and they're wondering what's going on too, just standing there. We're looking like what is going on? But I tell you, I said, because years before I had thought there's something that this man is keeping from me. I don't know what it is, but it's something. And I'm like, this is it. This right here is it. Mm -hmm. And what about you, Mr. Love? You know, it sounds like in the book, you were like deep in sleep. And all of a sudden you're being woken up. Uh, You open your eyes and you see yourself surrounded by law enforcement, NYPD, FBI. Uh, What was the first thought you had? Um, my life. If you can remember, I know this was like in 2016, right? No, 2015. 2015. My life was about to change. Um, when they knocked on the door, actually, I thought it was for the people next door. And I thought that, um, I said, no, this is 2A. And, um, well, the lady next door always has some actions and stuff going on with her. So I thought it was for them. But he said, no, we want 2A. So, of course, my wife went and answered the door and everything like that. And they just came in. And uh, they put a little semicircle around me and started asking me questions. I told them Bobby Love when they first asked me my name. He said, no, your real name. And I said, Walter Curtis Miller. He said, you had a good run. You had a long run. And uh, I was... Um, I was devastated. I I held my head down and I just, I don't know, I just humbled myself to to resign that, you know, it was all coming to an end. And mind you, I didn't even hear them say that name. Like they were like talking low to him. So I hadn't even heard. I just know that the cops were there and then they had said, we have to take him and we have to arrest your husband. And I'm like, for what? And they're not saying anything. They didn't say anything. They just said, we have to arrest him. So I didn't even know what was going on. Right. And so at what point did you find out, okay, this man's name is not Bobby Love. Uh, You know, he's wanted for this crime, bank robbery from 30, 40 years ago. When did the pieces start to come together for you, Mrs. Love? Okay. So after they had took him in and everything and uh, we're crying and praying and everything. And a phone call came and it was Bobby. And Bobby said to me, he said, um, oh, also before he had left, he had said, you know, Cheryl, this has happened before you. This was before the children. This has nothing to do, you know, telling me that. So I still didn't know what was going on. So he called me and he said that they had me at Bellevue now, Cheryl, and I was able to get my medicine. And I was so glad to hear that because it was quite overwhelming for me. So I know I was thinking, I don't know what Bobby is doing, thinking. I don't know what he's thinking. I didn't know if he was going to, he had suicidal thoughts or what. I didn't know. But what happened was a lawyer called me. She called and she said, after she spoke to me and she said to me, Miss Love, Mrs. Love, um, so when you go and visit Bobby, when you go and see him, you're going to ask for Walter Curtis Miller. And I still didn't get it. I said, is 
oh, is that the facility that he's in? And that lady, that lady was so quiet. And she said, no, dear. She said, Mrs. Love, you just asked for that name when you go see him. And I said, okay. So I hung up. But I tell you, just at that moment, when I hung that phone and hang that phone up, I said to my daughter, I said, oh, Jesse, I said, that's your father's name. And it started boo-booing again. And for you, Mr. Love, I mean, what's going through your mind? You have no idea what your family's thinking. I mean, are you, are you afraid your wife is just going to cut ties with you? Everyone's going to turn their back on you. Like, how are you feeling, you know, from the arrest and then you find yourself being held on Rikers, transported to North Carolina, things like that. What was going through your mind? Well, before I left, they let me speak to my daughter and my uh, son that was still here. And uh, I told my son, I was, I was crying at that time. And I told my son that, um, you know, I loved him. And uh, this has nothing to do with y'all's life or anything like that. I said, I hope this won't affect your life you know, still do, because he was in high school. So I'm telling him to go to school and, you know, just do what you, you know, got to do. Don't, don't, don't give up on what you got to do. You know, and I hugged my son, I hugged my daughter and they walked me out and they handcuffed me out outside of the door. But then when I got in the car, the man is giving me a, a little talk about how this came to be with the arrest and everything. But he's telling me that, you know, man, you have an incredible story. You, um, man, we, we didn't want to arrest you. You know, we was not looking for you. You know, um, man, you could write a book, you know. Now, all of this made me feel good, but yet still they were still arresting me and I'm getting ready to go. But, you know, it was all positive stuff they talked about, you know. That made me feel good. And then when I got to meet in Bellevue, I ate some, uh, they bought me a Danish and some orange juice, you know, because some of my medication, if not, if not taken with some food, I get hypoglycemic. So, and, but, but the next thing they did was put me in this cold cell and, uh, cause you know, they put you on suicide watch. Excuse me. So, um, I went through all of that. And then next thing I know, you know, I waited and, I did call my wife and told her, you know, um, at that time, I didn't ask her or say anything about what's going to go forward. But when she got to visit me that Saturday, you know, I told her that uh, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if she divorced me or anything like that. But she said, no, it's not what it's about. It's about, you know, caring and, you know, getting me through this and helping me to do whatever it is that's going to come next. All right. And tell us a little bit uh, about what got you into this predicament. Right. And, you know, reading the book, you sounded like, you know, almost any average teenager, you know, you get mesmerized by material things. You like having money in your pocket, um, but you just couldn't cut the certain habit that you developed. Tell us about that a little bit. I started I was I was a thief. I I, I uh saw opportunities or I saw things that I could, you know, steal and stuff like that from different people. When I was in school, I would break in the car. Well, I didn't break into the car, but the car would be open. I would, you know, lift a purse or something like that from a car, you know. I even stole some checks, you know, from um, people's mailboxes and stuff like that. 
you know. Catch us up to the to that key decision or that key crime uh, that finally got you caught once and for all. Um, but you know, you eventually managed to escape. Uh, what happened? Uh, you were with a couple of friends uh, out of state, and you decided to target a bank, a financial institution. What happened? We were um, we 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 left D.C. and came down to North Carolina, and uh, we wanted to hit uh, this this credit union. And uh, we went in and we robbed the place, and we went out the back door, but. We didn't tie or secure the people that we tied up. Next thing I know, I look back as we're going out the back door of the place and uh, they're watching us as we're running across this field to get to the car that we had stolen. And we were trying to make our way back to uh, Washington, D.C. And they busted us. I think it was like Salisbury somewhere along there, you know, about five or six cars of cops you know, surrounded the car and pulled us over. And eventually when all was said and done, you were facing, what was it, like 25 to 30 years potentially for that? Yes, I was dumb and stupid and acted arrogant and everything like that. And uh, we went to court, you know, it was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing things and they talking about us and, you know, I'm like, man, this is, you know, I, I made it look like it was funny, but it wasn't funny. I put it like that. And sure enough, they gave us uh, 25, myself and my partner, we were the oldest two of the bunch, and they gave us both 25 to 30 years. The other two guys were younger, so they were sent to a youth camp. Right, but you weren't trying to stay in prison for 30 years, so the first chance you got, you you took off, huh? Well, it was six years later. Oh, okay, right, right. I, I worked my way into, you know, good jobs and stuff like that, you know? And I found myself getting write-ups, you know, that was not called for, you know? One guard tell me one thing and one guard tell me something else. And then if I don't do what the other one said, it's like, uh, you disobeyed a direct order. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I don't get this. You know, that was, to me, that was a setup, you know? So anyway, I was moved from that job and then I went to another job. I was accused of, you know, saying something inappropriate to this guard, I mean, this captain, and I was moved from that job, you know, so it, that went on, you know, and uh, when they put me on the road to work out there on the road, you know, with a sling blade cutting grass or, you know, picking up garbage, you know, I, I said, I, I'm not going, I'm going to get out of here. And uh, I started to look around and see what I could do. And one of the first things I did was put a coat that they issued me as it was getting colder. I put it in a bag and walked through the gate and nobody checked it. So they gave me an idea that I can now take my own personal coat, put it in a bag and walk through the gate. So that was the first test. Now I'm looking around to see where I can get off or jump off this bus and get out that, go out the back door and go to um, some wooded area change my clothes and come out on the other side. And that's what I did. All right. And just to help us all keep track of the age here, how old were you when you got arrested and how old were you when you finally made that break? I was 21 when I got arrested. I was 27 when I made that, that uh, fateful day. 
all right, you, you, you know, make a break six years later. Uh, you don't exactly go straight just yet, uh, yeah. but you're trying and you're, you're facing the temptation, I guess. Um, and you get to a point um, where you do decide uh, that, you know, what you have to be careful, you have to play it straight. Um, but I also read in the book that during that whole time, you know, even going back to your childhood, you say you felt like God kind of was looking out for you, had his hand on you. Um, what makes you think that? Why do you think God was looking out for you? My mother prayed for me all the time. When I would call my mother, I lived in D.C. with my brother. Then I lived in D.C. with my, my sister. And um, my mother would, you know, talk to my sister or talk to my brother. And at one time, my mother lived in D.C. So my mother was always saying, you going to church, pray for yourself. I'm praying for you. So that was a constant, you know, thing. Sometimes my brother would say, your mother said, call, you know. I said, okay, but I wouldn't call. Then finally last, he, she might catch me at my sister's house, you know, when she called and she'd speak to me and stuff like that. But my mother always had a uh, prayer for me. And I, I, I feel like that was <clears throat> something that God, you know, her praying for me was was um, had God working with me, you know, through her prayers, you know. Uh, I maybe went to church maybe two or three times in D.C., but it wasn't a whole lot, you know. The reason why I, I, I went, because I met this girl and it's the church that she went to. So I went there a couple of times, but nothing ever came of that. Okay, okay. And so, you know, to fast forward a bit, Mrs. Love, you, you learn about your husband's past, you learn about his real name, and, you know, some things start to click for you. You know, you start to figure out maybe why he wasn't always as open with okay. you and whatnot. Um, and you made the decision, you know what, I, I'm not going to leave him. I'm not going to divorce him. I'm going to stick through this. We're going to see it through. And at that point, you had uh, four children, right? two right. older and two younger boys who were in high school. Right. Um, and, but it was just you holding it down, paying the bills. Mm -hmm. um, what kept you going? How did you find the strength to just push through all of that? I have to say it's been God. It was God. It's always been God. I prayed. I, there was times that, you know, even before I knew, um, because our marriage was good sometimes. It was not so good sometimes. And by him not expressing himself sometimes to me, I would be like, what is wrong? What are you, what are you hiding? I would always ask him that. What you have, I know you're hiding something from me. I asked him, does he have another family somewhere? Things like that. And he was like, Cheryl, no, nothing like that. It's nothing like that. No, I'm happy with, with you. I'm happy being here. And, you know, I would say to my friends, I would talk to them. And they say, girl, are you crazy? The man works two and three jobs. The man, so what? He don't like to take pictures. There's a lot of people that don't like to take pictures. So I would just put it in the back of my mind because Bobby was working those two and three jobs. Bobby was bringing money home to me. Bobby wasn't hurting me. He was loving me. And I wasn't looking for anything bad, but I would have this recurring dream that there was this thick rope coming from his mouth so to me that was like he's hiding something from me he's not telling me something but um I also had this other dream while he was away and my mother was in this dream and she was in the middle of all of us 
And she had, she didn't say not a word, but she had such a beautiful smile. Her smile just lit up the whole vision that I had. And it just let me know, don't give up, don't leave. It's going to be okay. And so I get back in there, make another different recipe, learn some different recipes, change the furniture around, you know, and just kept it like that. And we would pray together, me and Bobby, we would um, laugh, sing together over the phone. I even told him, I said, honey, I know it's rough where you are. I said, but listen, treat it like it's a spa. That's like you're in a spa. <laughs> and you're just getting refreshed from head to toe. I said, you know, just think positive about things. Um, I had got him a couple of books and he had some other books by um, some, some of the preachers from church and things. And so he just tried to say, we just tried to stay positive. And, um, but I did have to come to the realization of this man of 30 some odd years has deceived me. He has deceived you, Cheryl. So you got to first get in touch with that, you know, and I did. And I talked to him and we talked about that. And he had even said, I wouldn't, if you want to leave me, Cheryl, I will understand, you know, but I love you. I want to be with you. And I said, I love you too. And I want to be with you, but it took, I had to come to some realizations of things and, you know, people from my church, I had uh, my godmother, you know, they was like, everybody has a past. Everybody has a past. But do you desire to be with this man? Do you desire to be with him, Cheryl? And it was just like, I know that's very simple, but it's just, it opened my eyes and say, you know, that's the truth. Everybody does have a past. I didn't know those things what Bobby was doing back then. I didn't know Walter Curtis Miller. I knew Bobby Love, and he was taking care of me and the children, and he was doing good things in the community, and that's who I knew. And so, Mr. Love, you spent about a year in North Carolina, right? From once they arrested you at your home in Brooklyn and, you know, put you in custody. Um, and so during that year, uh, I'm wondering... Were you at peace with what was happening? Like, did you think that was justice? It was just that they finally got you when you were serving the time maybe that you should have served? Or do you feel like, you know, after all these years, these decades, you've shown yourself to be an upstanding citizen uh, and it was unfair that they're coming for you now? Uh, what do you think about what happened? Was it just or unjust? It was unjust, but those were the rules. And plus, the lawyer told me they could charge me with escape from way back then, but they didn't. So I was told I wasn't going to be charged with, you know, escaping back in 1977, but I'm still going to have the balance of my uh, uh, sentence to do. And that's going to end in um, 2024. And I'm like, wow, you know, I didn't think that was, you know, part of it. You know, I figure, you know, time don't stop. That was my thoughts. But they said, no, you still got the balance of your sentence to do, which is 2024 is when I would, you know, finish my whole, whole, whole sentence. So when I got the Spruce Pines, you know, I was, um, I was in a cell with another guy a white guy. He was a young kid. And um, 
he started asking me questions about myself and, you know, he, he had, um, I think he had 18 months for something he had done, you know, and uh, I told him my case goes back to the seventies, you know, he said, what? He said, uh, how much time did you have? And I told him I had 25 to 30 years. He said, and it goes back to, I tried to explain to him. I told him a little bit about my escape and stuff like that. And so getting that out, you know, I was done talking to him and at least telling him about myself, you know? So now I'm looking to go to church. I'm looking to read my Bible. I'm going to relax in this cell as much as possible. You know, once I got some money, and going to that dining room, that was not a part of what I wanted to do. Now, they had a religious group to come in there. They were called the, um, oh boy, Rock of Age. the Rock of Ages. This was an old, um, old, most of these guys were retired preachers, and they came in and they, they, they talked to you and they talked to you about God and everything like that. So they would come in for about a week or so. You know, they, they spent three weeks with us once I got there. And that gave me a good feeling. They gave me a Bible, which I already had a Bible, but they gave me another one, you know. And um, I went to church as much as I could. You know, three times a week we had church. We had it on Sunday, we had it on Monday, and we had it on, I think, Friday. So those things were, were a comfort to me, you know, Um just, just you know, doing what you had to do, you know, and 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 uh, try to make this time here as pleasant as possible and as comfortable as possible. So then I find out from my lawyer, who had a comment that I particularly didn't like. He said that don't get your hopes up, because nobody goes out or get you know gets released the first time for the crime that you committed like this. I told him to keep your negative comments to yourself. If you don't have anything positive to say to me, don't say nothing. So we got that straightened out. And he said, you know, and uh, then I found out they was going to give me parole. They was going to have a hearing for me October the 27th. I found that out in July. And my wife, my daughter, my father-in-law, and my sister were able to go to that hearing. Now, in the interim, they had already got a lot of people to write letters for me about my character. And those things were pre presented to my wife. Well, they gave them to my wife, and my wife gave them to the lawyer. So they went to the hearing, and a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving, they called me over to this gym where the guy that was assigned to be my counselor, he said, you just made parole. And I said, "Oh, okay," and um, <laughs> I was, I was, I was elated. You know, I was, I wanted to hug this guy, but this guy said, "No, you ain't hugging me," you know. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I came back and I just went in my cell, and you know, I called my wife that night, and she already knew, <laughs> you know. So everything was good. Everything was coming up just like God said it would, because I started telling people from day one, I'm going home. I am going home, you know? Because he had rehabilitated himself in plain sight without even letting me know things. Bobby was doing such good things. 
in the community. He had raised a family, had got married, raised a family, you know, nice man. He would get along with people, you know, easygoing. So, I mean, all of this. And But can you imagine him holding that in, not saying anything? That was a prison right there. So, and yeah, he yeah. said that he um, was remorseful for the things he had done. And, you know, I wish I hadn't gone that route. But, you know, like everybody does have a past. And I'm not too particularly proud of what I did. I'm not proud of that. He says, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I'm where I am today and that God has changed things around for me and, you know, for our family. All right. And uh, there's actually a part in the book here near the end where you uh, talk about being regular people. And I'm just going to read what it says here. And that's what we are. Regular people with a past, a past that doesn't define us, but it's one that has made us who we are today. So what do you mean by that when you say we're, we're regular people with a past and our past doesn't define us, but it's made us who we are today? You know, my, my spiritual guidance is uh, Reverend Hobbs, Bishop Hobbs. And uh, from him, I learned a lot. I learned a lot to not let things put you in a situation that you don't want to be in. I used to go to that church and for so long, I used to sit over there in the, on the side. I didn't talk to too many people. Cheryl had bugged me and told me, go to church, go to, come to church, come to church, come to church. I would come every once in a while, but I'm working two jobs and my thing was to sleep on Sundays when I was off. But as time would go on, you know, and listening to Bishop, I just started to learn a lot from his preaching. I learned a lot and, and some of his preachings, I think I, I felt like they pertained to me as he preached about, you know, the different scriptures. And um, that, that gave me a different feeling in myself, you know, and my wife was, I mean, she was already brutally honest about everything. Her truth was there, you know? So I was building my truth. Learning about myself through the eyes of my bishop has caused me and helped me to be who I am today. So what's life like for you two today? I have to say it's so much better. We can truly be our authentic self, be truthful, that's what I have learned. Writing this book has um, just opened our minds, opened our minds and really taken me back to um, taking me down memory lane. And like, you know, it could that could have been me. That could have been me. It could have been somebody else. But this is my story. This is Bobby's story. And what I also learned was that forgiveness, yes. you have to forgive. You have to forgive. If I felt like if I didn't forgive and he too, if he didn't forgive the things that he had done and ask God to forgive him, that we would be bitter. It would be a bitter relationship. And we did not want that. 
We didn't want that. So we, it was just so therapeutic, this whole thing. So I would just say to people, be truthful, you know, speak your truth. Don't be isolated. Because at first I didn't want this to come out at all. I was like, oh boy, we're just out there now. This is too much. But <laughs> it was all for our good. It was all for the betterment, for the good. And I saw where our story was helping people, really helping people. Yes. And I sat down when um, my daughter said, mommy, have you read some of these comments from the human of New York story? And I was like, no, and I don't want to read it. She said, mommy, you need to read them. So I really sat down in our basement that day and I sat down and when I looked at some of those comments, they were saying things like, oh, Miss Cheryl, thank you for speaking your voice. This man has thank my husband because he was thinking about killing himself. Um, he was having a very tough time with his marriage and he thought about ending it, just ending the marriage, ending his life. He said, I'm so glad to hear your story, man, that you told this story, that you came through with fine colors. God bless you. And like I said, when I read it, oh my goodness, I just booed, I just cried. I said, God, you are healing me right now. Yes, yes. I can't hold this back. We got to let this be known. People are be getting, need, the, need to hear the truth. The truth will make you free. That's it's right. It make, That's it'll right. make you free. It's great that, you know, you got to the point where you realize, you know, what you're going through or what you went through wasn't just for you, right? Isn't that how a testimony works? Yeah. It's not just for you, but, you know, telling that story, letting other hear, others hear about it, and how God showed up for you all that time, you know, yeah. inspires other people. Um, yeah. So that's why I, I, I love your story, love your book, you know, wanted to speak with you too, um, because it's just an inspiring story. As you said, you're regular people yeah. with a past. Everyone has a past, but our past doesn't necessarily define us. Um, so it's amazing. Thank you for, you know, taking time to talk with me today. And, you know, just one final question uh, before we go. Obviously, it's a great story, great book. Um, do you think at some point this may down the road turn into like a movie? You know, I mean, I'm seeing it as like a lifetime movie or even in theaters. <laughs> Has that thought ever crossed your mind? We had some uh, talks with some of some people, but they didn't, uh, I guess they didn't come in the time that they said they would concerning that. But so we are... Um, stay tuned. We, we, oh, you've got you got information you can't necessarily share, right? I get that. I get that. Okay, <laughs> but it's somehow, somewhere, possibly on the table. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that's great. That's great. So, all right then, Mrs. Love, yeah. who would you like to play? You who who should play Cheryl Love in this movie? <laughs> well, I thought about what's the um. Oh my goodness, I Divine. can't. Uh, Loretta Devine. I thought maybe she would be great. And then my other lady I love so much, um, Octavia. Octavia Spencer. All right. Mm -hmm. I can see that. All right. And for you, Mr. Love, uh, who should play you? And of course, uh, you know, your story obviously goes through different stages, right? From when you were youth uh, yeah. to your older years. Uh, so for whichever part of that, when you consider a movie, who do you see playing you very well? What's his name? Jackson. Jackson, um, Samuel, Samuel Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson. All right. Wow. I can see that. I can see that. Wow. Before I let you go, I know we 
spoken about a lot, but is there any parting thought, any final word that you just wanted to put across that, you know, we didn't bring up yet? Well, keep your head up, you know, don't, don't let yourself get down on anything that's happening in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, you can work it out. You can work it out. Um, Talk to to God, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can work it out. Yes, definitely. I was going to say there's a scripture that we love. There's many of them, but there's this one that says all things work work together for the good of those who are called and who love God and are called for his purpose. And it says all things. So that's good things and bad things, but it all works together for your good. I was mad when that person, whoever it is, called my or my husband. I was like, who could do something like that? They don't even know, you know, but look how it turned out all for the good. And I had always been praying for him, you know, so, and also let your light shine. Let your light shine. You may think somebody's not looking, but -hmm. somebody's watching. Mm -hmm. Somebody's looking at you. Mm -hmm. So let your light shine. Be kind to people. That's what I want to say. All right, great. Thank you again. Thank you so much. And uh, I hope, as I said, everyone gets to hear your story. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of News with Nicola, where we aim to keep things real, relevant, and faithful. To get more exclusive content and to watch the video version of this interview, just head to faithfullymagazine.com. However, you'll need to be a Faithfully Magazine partner subscriber to access our exclusives. So if you're not already a subscriber, just click the subscribe button on the website. You can try it out for 30 days for just $5 and cancel your monthly subscription at any time. If you've got some thoughts or questions about this episode, I'd love to hear from you. Just send me an email at podcast at faithfullymagazine.com. This is Nicola A. Menzi, Managing Editor at faithfullymagazine.com, hoping I'm leaving you informed and inspired. Till next time.